Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Music Prophet. So if you are listening on Spotify, Apple, or Google Play, so I appreciate it. And to all the listeners, it is great that you're following along. And for today, we are speaking with a band named Forest from Toronto, and they are really exciting. Their sound is really unique, and it's really catchy pop. But the songwriting is beyond pop music. I, You know, it has that feel that it isn't trying to just be meaningless with rhyme, but there's a lot of hidden message, and there's a big environmental cause, and it's it's great. So let's just jump right into it. Did you When you released your newest album, did it get the response you're looking for, do you think? Um, I think so. I, I think we didn't really... Uh know what to expect i think we were just more excited that we actually had some sort of good quality uh recording of our song oh Um, so like okay so like it was more it was just the fact that like it turned out so well for you guys for yourself yeah well i think because being our first album like we really didn't really know anything about the business and we kind of just came out of making open mics or sorry doing open mics and we thought you know what we need to stop doing open mics for one set playing shows but two we need to have our songs done properly like the way we kind of want them so we um like we both went to school i went to school for um independent songwriting at seneca i dropped out unfortunately and holly went to school for uh audio engineering at metalworks and she dropped out as well but we both had the same teacher um and uh, we ended up asking him to produce our album. His name's Alfio Anibalini. And um, we showed him the songs and he liked them. And we just, we kind of went through this whole process that we've never experienced before, which was going into the studio and the things you do before studio. So we met with him and um, we hashed out the songs. And so he was producing the album. So he basically just gave us some pointers on what he thinks would sound good. Um, and just kind of helps us helps guide and sculpt the whole album itself. So we met previously several times to have little sessions with uh, our drummer, um, and just kind of hash out the songs and get everything kind of to the point and like really cleanly done, so that we kind of know exactly what we're gonna do when we go into studio. And then when we finally went in, it was a breeze. Like he made it so easy. So I think the main thing that we really wanted out of the album was just studio experience and just to see if we can capture what we wanted anyone else to hear on the record which i think we did like how is it for you though holly you've done music in australia and then you've also done it with others right and so how is forest different than the stuff you've done previously um so i was in a band before when i was in high school and that was in indonesia um and it wasn't really anything serious like there wasn't really anywhere to play there so it was more just um, let's write some songs and you know record them ourselves and try that. So when I came to Canada and met Matt and we started Forest, it was completely different because it went from like a high school band playing talent shows to uh, something serious and a proper career where we have goals. Um, so I can't really compare the two because it was uh, one was more a hobby and this is like my job, what we want to do, yeah. Do you see, uh, like, do you see Forest as 
continuing for a long time too? Oh, definitely. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty, and I I guess like even from uh, your perspective, Matt, like did you expect that it was going to work out so well? Um, I don't know. I I think in back on it, it was kind of just like hope. Yeah, I think I I came to a point where, because I was doing music before she came and I wanted to be a songwriter or whatever, but um, I'm just not a very good lyricist. I never have been. So, like, I was always in this kind of rut. Um, but then when she came, uh, the first time we met, it was kind of like, okay, let's just try to figure this thing out. Because she's probably the first person I met who was really, really serious about music, um, like, as much as me. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think we kind of just saw that. Even, like, the story goes, like, when she came, like, she had her own songs, and I have my own style of stuff. I'm more folky. She's more punk um, and alternative So then when she played her songs to me. I hated them. When I played my songs to her, she hated them. So we ended up just kind of working it out, because even though we, uh, we didn't exactly like each other's genres, we I think we both saw kind of, like, the drive and like kind of the desire to actually do something with music. And then we ended up just coming to a point where we kind of, I guess, got our heads out of our ass and put away our, our genre differences and just kind of compromise. And luckily I think it turned out well for us. Yeah. I feel like it did. Do you agree, Holly? Yeah, definitely. It was a lot of, um, I think we were both just kind of so ready to, like Matt said, just get into it and, it's hard to find someone else with that much drive um, that you get along with and you can spend all your time with. So I think a, a bit of that was luck, and then it was also just us just wanting to get to the point and do music. Yeah, it's hard with especially like with music these days when you look at the industry and how many bands don't succeed too that you that a lot of people get discouraged or they're just doing it because they can play guitar well. So they're like, I might as well do it, right? Yeah, definitely. We've been really lucky because what seems to happen is um, we saw a lot earlier, uh, like all throughout this year, is we'll be in a big rut and be really down, thinking nothing's happening, and then the next day or a couple of days later, a big opportunity will come along, and it just keeps going like that. So it like feels like a sign. It's like every time you want to give up, you just get pushed a little bit more, and seeing all that just keeps you going. And I think this year especially, though, um, well, because when we first started in 2015, like, we were playing open mics for a solid, I don't know, maybe, like... Eight months. Eight months, yeah, um, before the album. And we thought, oh, if we just keep playing open mics, this will work. We'll be discovered. Yeah, we'll be discovered. <laughs> but it was kind of like, one, that's not kind of what we want to do. Um, we don't want to be discovered like Justin Bieber or whatever. Mm-hmm. And two, we just kind of figured, like, there's a reason why bands play shows and not open mics, and I'm not not that not dissing open mics because open mics are very important. Oh, and, it's a good start. Yeah, those, those those eight months though, I think really helped us figure out our songs, and it did it did help quite a bit. But at a certain point, you get to this kind of realization that if you don't play shows, no one's gonna really find out about you because the open mic kind of has the same cycle of people. Um, and it's fun. It's fun and it's a great way to practice, but overall you have to kind of 
eventually dive into the, the deep end and see what you can actually do in the quote unquote real world. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah open like I, it's training grounds, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty a very important step. I mean, definitely wouldn't wouldn't tell someone to skip open mics, but it's one of those things where eventually, once we did the album, it was like, okay, we need to start playing shows, and then the question became, how? How? And so then, as as we started like learning these things, better opportunities came, and I think the biggest thing that we've learned is the harder you work. Um, it sounds pretty stupid, but like the harder you work, the more opportunity comes. Like, we've sent, like, thousands of emails to bands trying to open up, and I think only two of them actually answered um, and gave us a shot, which was amazing for us. But if you don't put out those thousand emails, you're not even going to get one. So I think the biggest thing we learned this year was if you try, you get something. And the thing, too, I find is that uh, with with your style, it's such a blend of different genres it's pretty cool yeah it, it, that's what um that's what we find as well and that's how we describe it to people because they ask us our genre and it's like well if we're referring to that album it's kind of a mix of lots of things and we were definitely trying to find our sound in that and um, we're working on new music at the moment and it's definitely going in more of one direction not, not the bad, not the one, bad direction. one direction like it's kind of one <laughs> way um but um yeah i think this first album was definitely just a bit about inventory. In fact, let's just put what we've got together, put into an album, and see what people think and see what see where it goes. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Like, do you uh, like, do you think that this time around your, like your your lyrical focus is even different, Holly? Um, I don't think so. It's um, I I I have a lot of trouble. Like, I can't just sit down and write lyrics and. I think it's same the same with Matt and um, like guitar parts. It just kind of happens, and um, so it's never the process has never really changed, and the lyrics are kind of still um, the process is all the same. Like we've written a whole bunch of new songs, and I couldn't say that anything's gone differently lyric-wise. Okay, yeah, because like, how, when did you start playing music? Um, well, I started guitar lessons when I was nine, and I kind of started writing songs right off the bat, mostly about butterflies then, but, um, uh, yeah, and it just kind of, I just fell in love with it, and it it was like a therapeutic thing, just writing, being out of write, whatever you want to write about. Yeah, and like, and then for you, is it about, like, when you were a kid too, Matt? Um... Yeah, I, I I started playing piano when I was seven, um, and then guitar at twelve, I think. I've lost track of my years or whatever. But um, I really wanted to play guitar, but the teacher at the school was like, "You need to play piano first because it's easier." So my mom and dad forced me to kind of do that at first, and then I finally made the switch. And yeah, I just I think that was the only. I think music was the only thing I was actually. Into at the time, so I kind of stuck with it. And I've always liked music, so um, I think since that day when I started playing, honestly, that's all I really wanted to do. Um, I was never a big video game kid or whatnot. Well, it was it was either be a musician or be either a soccer or hockey player <laughs> or a professional Pokemon trainer. But 
unfortunately, I'm not good at all three. So yeah, apparently, yeah, apparently, professional Pokemon trainer isn't a job. Yeah, I heard that, but I was optimistic. So I'm kind of curious then. Uh, since you've been playing guitar for so long, what's better, acoustic or electric? Exactly. Like in your case, once you're doing full band stuff, then you need electric, right? Yeah, we need, and I think it's it's even less about just having electric and more about what kind of different tones you can get. Because you know, if if everyone's using an electric guitar with the same exact setting, you're not going to really notice the difference. I find um, musically, but I find that makes a song sound really full with the different types of tones. So you know, a different, like for example, a telly. Um, sounds way different than a uh, a strat, right? So even if, even if you are using a, like two electric guitars, like using different electric guitars um, changes the sound, changes the depth and texture of the song. And um, you know, I mean, they just if you just kind of mix everything, everything has its time and place. And when mixed together, you can get some really cool stuff. Do you play with tones and different sonic rhythms? I think more the tonality is in my parts. To be a little bit more honest, um, Holly kind of. Well, the, the hard thing is the lyrics are so important in our music, um, so we have to kind of find this balance where um, Holly's voice comes through and is kind of intimate enough and loud enough for you to hear what she's saying and actually understand. So we can't like kind of um, be too experimental, to say the least. But with my parts, I kind of try to come up with parts that as opposed to kind of drowning her out I try to do stuff that just kind of highlights what she's singing so kind of I remember somebody explained um, my parts as flowery shit so I kind of just do like all the flowery <laughs> shit around around the actual song which I don't mind I like my flowery stuff but um so I, I, I like to play with tones a lot um, but less tones I think more more sounds I can't live without my reverb pedals. Um, I use two of them. <laughs> one is constant. One is constantly on. Um, and then I'm very particular in my rougher tones. 
So in my overdrives, um, like I have two overdrive pedals now, and uh, they're both used for totally different things. I'm more into kind of the more ambient type of stuff, and tone is very important for that, in my opinion. Um, so I'm always watching my tone and making sure I get the exact sound. And if I don't get the exact sound that I want, I get really pissy as well. So <laughs> everyone, everyone kind of just makes sure that I'm happy with how I sound. And how does your songwriting come into play for that then? Lately we've been writing more together. Um, whereas previously it was I would come to Matt with something or he would come to me and that would be the entire base of it and we'd go around that. But now it's a lot more um, a lot more collaborative and um, we do a lot of it in the basement and Matt doesn't have his pedals or anything here so it's more just the melody of what he's writing and then when we go to our rehearsal space then he really hashes out all the tones and stuff so I think it's more just like the the like framework of the song just the real basic stuff when we write it and then it gets more into the tones and things is that a bit of yeah no go ahead I, yeah. I also think that, I also think that less um I don't really have a tone for every song I have a certain tone that I like for myself, like for my guitar. So it's just me getting back to that sweet spot. And every song is slightly different. So I do change the tones once in a while a little bit. But for the most part, I try to get um, this certain sound that's in my head that I'm trying to replicate. Because everything, at least that I do from a musical aspect, is I hear it in my head and then I just try to mimic it with the six strings. And do you think friendship makes the decisions easier too at this point? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it helps a lot. We spend every day together and we, we work at it every day. And I think if we didn't get along, we weren't friends. We would have killed each other by now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, we have our differences, but we get on very well. I can spend every day with him and it's, uh, it's easy. It's not a chore. So that helps a lot. And it helps when we're on the road or when we're doing a tough show and you have your friends there and it's just it's uh very helpful before anything i think we kind of decided that we're best friends first yeah and we're in the band first and we weren't dating when the band started so it's um i think we have very clear lines where it's when it's band time and that's when we have our friends and then we have like personal time outside of the band and so it's still very much like it was at the beginning and we can still, um, we, I think we are very professional, I guess I'd say, when it's do with the band and we don't let our personal lives get into it. So the songwriting, I don't think has changed, like, because of our relationship. And I don't think we changed because of our relationship either. I think our friend, we, we pretty much stayed exactly the same, whether we were dating or not. It's just kind of like, like we've always been friends so it's kind of just like natural nothing ever changed it was just always the same i still call her out on things she still calls me out on things i beat her up she beats me up it's, it's like it's, it, nothing's really that changed. sounds a bit rough that's so true though you beat me up all the time yeah oh so it's fine then yeah i mean like there's a there's a, there's a limit <laughs> Yeah, whenever we write songs or anything with the band, we've always kept it 
pretty separate. The band Whitehorse described, we just said, there's such a professionalism with their music that they don't want their emotions to kind of come into play there. Oh, 100%. And even when we're on stage, it's, um, it, it just feels different. It's very much like we're a band, we're a team. Um, and then we go home and then like it's a whole different, it's a whole different feeling. And I really like that because I can be really angry at Matt because like, I don't know, he sent a wrong email or something. And then we can put that aside and just watch a movie or vice versa. The thing about it that I like about you guys is how open you are to Indonesia and like other causes besides yourself. Oh yeah, we uh, well, Holly's mom is really. Can you tell this story, Holly? It's your mom. Not mine. Yeah. Well, I, <laughs> I grew up in Africa and in Indonesia, so I was always kind of um, immersed in like, a low-income environment, um, <clears throat> and just being exposed to that just like unintentionally changes the way you think. So it's not more. It's not really conscious, like, we should help, it's more like we have to do what we can, like, it's our obligation as, like, people. Um, but my mom, my parents still live in Indonesia, and she started a uh, foundation that helps um, disabled children in Lombok. Not always often, but being, like, shunned from their family and things like that. And so she does that, and it's really inspiring just to always like be around that and if you get I don't know if you get too into like um what's the word like materialistic stuff Uh I can call my I can call my mom and then it just kind of grounds us and just you think about well I don't really have these problems aren't really uh, a big deal right now and it kind of um it, it sets your mind straight on on what you should be focusing on and I don't know if I said that right, but... Yeah, you know, like, I, I get it completely, right? Because your mom is your... It's like, she, she's your home base, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And do you think, like, are you the same? Do you have someone in your life that does that for you, Matt? Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm, an, I'm an only... Well, Holly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think uh, Holly and I have become our... We've kind of each other's support system here. Um... I'm I'm an only child and I've, I'm kind of more self self sufficient. Not that Holly's not self sufficient because I'm she helps me all the time. But like you're more independent, yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't even say independent. I mean, I th- I think it's just more understanding. I I think I just had to cope with my own scars a little bit more. Um, just because my, my parents are a little bit more distant, especially at the moment. Um, but. Luckily, I have Holly, so, like, she she really is my person at the moment. And I think what I like about that is Holly's family is also my family now. Like, and now, like, I, I don't know what it is. Just since I've met her family, even before we were dating, like, her mom was really nice. I think her mom likes me. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, we're, we're really close with Holly's parents and her family. And I, I like hearing the stories, too, because um, you just don't realize when you live in, like, Canada, such a nice country, um, all the kind of crap that's happening outside of your little bubble. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, like I'm, I'm half Bolivian, and Bolivia is in South America, and it's not, like, the greatest country ever. Um, 
but a lot of my cousins and family there, they're really poor and they live in like a broken down abandoned house that's like more like a shack and the kids don't have toys and I remember going one time and um, bringing my old broken toys from the 90s and like I, I was probably 16 at the time so this was maybe six years ago and um, it's so weird how not even weird it's, it's so eye opening when you see this little kid and their eyes just open so bright when you give them this broken toy. And it's like, this toy's a piece of crap. It's garbage. It's like 20 cents. And to them, it's like the best thing in the entire world. I remember seeing that. And I came to the point where I was like, whoa, like that's so intense. And we should be doing more to help. And then they came back to Canada and I kind of forgot about it. And then since meeting Holly and being more immersed with her family, um, I think the biggest thing is I guess her family's also home base for me where you kind of realize like, holy crap, like we probably should be doing more. And, you know, seeing her mom, like her mom climbs mountains to raise money for these children, like literally. And it's like, I'm a lazy fuck and I can't get off of the, <laughs> off of the couch. But like, it's one of those things where it's like, if she can, like she loves like trekking and climbing and whatnot, but if she can do that type of thing, we we can definitely do our thing and do our part to do the same. Uh, I mean, our, our goal is more with the environment, less towards people, but um, it's the same type of concept. How do you think your music plays into that, then? Well, the big thing for me was Holly, Holly came, and she's more the environmentalist. Um, and so she came and was like, stop littering, and I was really bad, like, to be quite honest. Like, I didn't really care about throwing my garbage on the floor or like recycling mm-hmm. or any of that stuff and like in my head it was oh it's like environmentalists are just like annoying they're just annoying people that are like trying to get you to do something that's just so inefficient and I think when Holly really opened my eyes and um the biggest thing is what we kind of compromised on was like I'm part of the person that like, I have a bit of the perspective of the person that doesn't care. And I think that's who you kind of want to appeal to as a goal. Like, obviously, it's from a business perspective. As an eco-friendly band, if you want to make money, you're appealing to people who are eco-friendly. But I think our thing is we're trying to help the environment. And so we're trying to get the people who aren't eco-friendly and don't care to either start caring or not notice. And the biggest thing is to not notice. So... I don't think any of our songs are really about the environment or helping anyone. We're not like a charity band. Um, I think what we do is we, I like to say that we try to write good music, or at least write music that we love. We hope everyone else loves it. And while we do that, by you supporting us, you're inadvertently, whether you like it or not, are being eco-friendly. So, you know, if you buy a band shirt, um, you're buying an eco-friendly band shirt from us. Yeah. Um, if you buy our merchandise, it's all eco-friendly. Um, eventually, we want to start making our whole touring rig uh, eco-friendly. just requires a lot of money, but eventually we want to get to that point. We want to get to the point where um, every single thing we have is making a donation to a massive charity. Um, we, we just want to be involved, and I think the biggest thing is setting the trend for other bands. Like We don't want to be known as the eco-friendly band. 
like to the extent where it's like we want everyone to be the eco-friendly band we want it to eventually become a point where it's like the industry standard is all the shirts are made of bamboo cotton as opposed to regular cotton or recycled and um you know no more plastic covering on cds or you know using just the paper wallets as opposed to the plastic cases you know i think the goal is is less a marketing scheme and it's more of trying to get everyone to kind of join on this type of i guess movement i don't want to seem like a protest or anything but like (laughs) but it's it's kind of one of those things that we're trying to do it so that whether you're an environmentalist or whether you care or you don't care you're doing your part whether you like it or not and i think that's the biggest thing like getting through to the lazy person because everybody else is whoever's eco-friendly and likes that that's already doing it and that's not the person you're trying to reach you're trying to get through to the people who aren't because if you can do that then you know you've done i think quite a good job (laughs) yeah the small things matter right yeah, exactly, and I think, you know, there's, there's no point in, you never, like, there's already people who support you, you have to try to get the people who aren't at the moment as much as you can. For you, Holly, like, do you think that you have another kind of goal with Forrest in there and helping out others? Um, well, since I was little, I always wanted to be an environmentalist or a conservationist, and then, um, a little later on, I fell in love with music, and that just became, I was at a bit of a crossroads where it was, do I go to school to be an environmentalist or do I do music? And my dad he said, what are you going to enjoy more? Like, if you go to school for the environment, are you going to focus on that? And I thought, maybe not. So I'm doing music, and I'm hoping, like, I'm a big like, Paramore fan, for example, and when they tell their fans to do something, like go like a post or go and and buy this shirt, you go. I go and buy it because I'm a huge fan, and I just <laughs> wanna, I wanna, I wanna have that influence one day where it's like, where people listen to us and 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 we have a voice so that we can spread the word and do the right thing. And I don't want to be like just one environmentalist. I want to be an environmentalist that people listen to, as opposed to like Matt was saying the like annoying person that bugs you and tells you to turn your lights off. Like, well, I want it to be more of a, they're a cool band. Uh, I'll, I'll do that. So I'm kind of curious on like, how should a band use their platform when it comes to that kind of stuff? Um, I've, I think I've realized recently it's not, um, it's not really an obligation. You, you be a musician to make music, but <clears throat> uh, it seems like a lot of these, uh, bigger bands and things they don't have a problem being in the spotlight um about you know not the greatest thing so i just think take a little bit of time to to use your platform to talk about a bit of good and a a lot of that's happening more now with um with trump and as he tries to pass more bad bills and things and people are starting to speak out a lot more about good things and i'm seeing it everywhere and we're, uh, we're hoping to try and start that a bit more um, for the environment in the music industry because, like Matt said, it's so expensive at the moment and it's just so difficult to do because no one's doing it. And um, even just bands our size, we want to try and 
we want to try and get them to uh, change their ways a little bit, make a bit of difference. And do you think there's a limit to a band's power? Um, I think if they set their mind to it, like, you can only do so much, but um, you, you got to do what you love and you got to speak about what you love. And it's, I think it's clear sometimes when someone's paid to talk about something as opposed to when someone's talking from the heart. And um, I, I think... Uh, I don't think there's a limit. You've got to do music first if you're a musician, obviously, and then use your speaking platform second and speak about what you love. In five years, where do you want Forrest to be when it comes to that social power and that in that listening ability to, to really move ideas forward? I never thought about that. I think for me it's more about the raising awareness of, like, in five years, I would hope that, you know, we um, were able to make a lot of band fans and get them just to simply change their merchandise a bit. Um, I, I've never, I've never, like, personally, I've never thought of myself as a, a big leader when it comes to change and stuff, but for me, all I really want to see is, you know, for, I'll give you sort of, like, an example with t-shirts. Um, a t-shirt costs $2 to make when it's not eco-friendly, when it's just pure, you know, bad for the environment. Mm-hmm. And then they sell a t-shirt for like 20 bucks. And so your profit margin is like $18, which is is very steep, um, which you never think of, but it's, your, it's a shirt with your band's name on it. And so you buy it. And I just think, you know, you pay a few extra bucks, um, you know, the cost of the shirt comes to $5. You can charge the same price. Sometimes it's more, but you can charge the same price pretty much and still get a profit. And, like, eventually the more you buy these things, like, the more you use eco-friendly stuff, the more you purchase them, the cheaper they'll go down. Uh, Like, the cheaper they'll be because, well, now there's actually demand for them. So you can actually bring the cost to make them down. Um, And so I think in five years, I just hope that at least we can impact the Toronto scene as much as we can and try to get everyone on board this, um, eco-friendly kind of lifestyle but you can support the cool thing about being eco-friendly is you can support anything else that you want if you want to support equality if you want to support um, anything starving children in Africa you can do anything you want with that but as if you have merchandise that's eco-friendly you're also just killing two birds with one stone for example you could say I'm charging $20 for a band poster I don't know what band posters cost but I'm charging $20 for a band poster yeah. made of all recycled material, all recycled everything. It's super eco-friendly, and proceeds are going to, um, let's say, I don't know, Socks for the Homeless that Indie 88 was doing yeah. recently. Um, so, but you could do that thing, and it's like you can still, like, fund and raise money for your actual, like, Passion. passions. Mm-hmm. But while you're doing that, you can kill two birds with one stone and help the environment. Yeah. Like we're, I, I, that's the biggest thing that I like about the environment movement is that it's so like, you don't even know, you, you don't even have to notice you're helping. You just are like, if you buy eco-friendly materials, you're helping. Why? Because what one, you're helping bring the cost down because with more demand for them, the cost will come down for those goods. And two, you're just doing your part to not, to like to lessen the demand of like non-eco-friendly things right and so it's kind of like
like um, type of like uh, what's it called fundraising to some extent because you're you're just living your life in a normal way that you would any other day except the items you're buying are just slightly different. So I think that's the biggest thing. I, I think in five years I want a lot of bands in Toronto to just have as much eco-friendly merchandise as possible. And then same for you, Holly, or do you have a different kind of idea of what impact you'll have? Um, I think it's similar to that. Um, oh, that's a tough question. You always seem a little more hands-on than me, though. You've always yeah, been Yeah, um, we have lots of little ideas and things, and um, we really want to, as we grow and hopefully as our fan base grows, we want to be... Um, not just telling people to do things like we want to go uh, replant trees with our fans and we want to go and help at the animal shelter with our fans and we want to be well I want to be really hands-on and not just be like go and do this it's like I'm doing this too like I'm you know I'm not, I'm not just sitting at home and telling you to go and do it for me I think um I want to lead a good example um and you know do what i say what we should be doing yeah so it pretty much is right like it's because that is kind of the, the cool thing with uh forest is that you can tell this there's the there's an awareness and i feel like is there is there any like is there mindfulness in a way in your lyrics um the songs kind of approach a different thing the songs are more um mental health which is another thing which we're really um passionate about so that, that kind of has nothing to do with the environment, but I guess it it gets the same message across with the passion, like just these people struggle, and uh, it can really be put into any context, which is what I like. Like the song can mean um, like the trees are hurting and help them, but the song can also mean like I'm hurting. And, um, I think it's really, uh, it's whatever you want it to be about. And um, I, I personally don't like knowing what the song's about but for bands I like because when I listen to it it has its own meaning to me and then when I find out what it's about it's like oh like I got that all wrong and I you know that's not what it was about and I like having um I like that songs mean something different to everyone and a couple people came to come up to speak to us and said this song like helps me through this because of this and it was like well that's not at all what I wrote it about, but that's amazing that um, they heard it that way and that helped them in that way. Do you write your, because uh, you did mention like mental health, but do you yeah. write, oh, do you guys see yourself doing anything for that in the future even? Um, I hope so. We've, um, we want to try and collaborate with um, some organizations. Jamie and whatnot. Yeah, and to write love on our arms and things. Because that's, um, I'd um, say pretty on par with the environment, um, passion-wise, like, uh, using passion too much, but, um, it's something that we both really care about, and we've both, um, had experiences with, and, uh, it's something that... Have, not even have. Yeah, and it's something that's beginning to be talked about more, and the stigma is, like, slowly going away, and, um, but I think, uh... We obviously want to do our part to uh, to help with that, and um, 
I think having the songs about mental health, people really, um, they, it seems like they freak out a lot more um, when they know that it could be about mental health and um, they relate to it a lot more and they can, um, even if you speak to us about their struggles, it's enlightening to see it helping people and with that that will wrap up the my interview with Forrest so that was fun it was it I hope you enjoyed it and I appreciate all the people that listen every week and the musicians that I've had on the show in the first season I recorded 45 episodes in the first season and so if you haven't had seniors on air yet then you will in the next two or three months and I'm really excited it's I'm really excited for you to see what's coming up in this year of the music profit there's a lot of big artists a lot of changes the podcast is still available on Spotify iTunes and Google Play, so you're able to see the uh, the entire first season, binge listen to it if you want, and discover some beatboxers, folk songwriters, rock bands. Surprisingly, I covered a lot of genres and a lot of sounds that you don't normally find on radio. 